Well, welcome to another edition of Intentional Conversations. On Intentional Conversations, we uh, interview and seek to interview leaders in men's ministries, helping men to grow spiritually and leaders and pastors to reach the men in today's culture, discussing issues men face every day. This is a program where a men's ministry leader interviews leaders in men's ministry. And uh, today we uh, we are, are going to have an interesting program, I believe. I am Mike Sandlin with uh, Cape Fear Men. And for those of us who have been in, involved in men's ministry for any length of time, knows that working with men can be one of the hardest ministries in the church to do. And one of the questions I get asked often is, how do I get men in the church and keep them there? Well, maybe today we'll uh, be able to answer some of those questions as we dive into discussing what is making our culture chick tick today. Today is my pleasure to have with us David Morrow uh, on the program who wrote the best-selling book, Why Men Hate Going to Church. Well, welcome, Dave. Appreciate you joining us. Howdy, Mike. Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, let me tell the audience a little bit about more about you, for those who may not know. Uh, about your background a little bit. David was uh, raised in Texas, uh, but he now lives in Alaska. I think it's Anchorage, Alaska, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he's, yeah, he's an award-winning television producer and writer. He's uh, he is the director of uh, uh, Church for Men and an organization that helps congregations uh, reconnect men and boys. His first book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, was an instant Christian bestseller. His efforts have spawned articles in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Chicago Turban, just to name to a few. Uh, you may have, uh, may have seen him on PBS, NBC Nightly News, and Fox Channel talking about the gender gap. He and his wife, Gina, have three children. Uh, his newest book, Drowning in Screen Time, was released about a month ago. And let me tell you, if you uh, haven't read it, you need to do so. Uh, it will make you rethink about how you use our, we use our phones, our tablets, our laptops, and anything that deals with screen and help us to understand a little bit more about our culture and society today. Oh, David, I'll tell you what, that book was, uh, that book was something. But first, before we start diving into that stuff, I want you to share uh, with our audience, if you would, what is your favorite verse? What do you consider your life verse? And, and why is that verse so meaningful to you? Uh, are you talking about my favorite Bible verse uh, for yeah. life verse or just right now? Either one or, or right now. Yeah. What, what's what, what's really um, speaking to you right now? Hmm. Uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus. Uh, okay. That's the one that... Um, really is the reason I wrote the book, because our, our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on our screens. And we are believing what our screens tell us about the world. And I think a lot of followers of Jesus are frankly deceived right now about the nature of the world because of what mm -hmm. they're seeing on their screens. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's that's the verse I'm, I'm uh, clinging to right now. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Yeah, uh, we'll 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 definitely dive into that because I want to talk about that book a little bit. But how mm -hmm. did how did you how did you come to Christ, David? When when uh, did you come to Christ, and and how, what was that all about? Oh, just a fifteen year old boy uh, got invited to a Bible study by a girl that I wanted to date. Really wasn't interested in Christianity, but I uh, really liked what I heard. Really admired the men who led the Bible study and wanted to be like them. So uh, one night there was a message on forgiveness. I knew that was something I needed to learn how to do. And uh, just prayed and asked God to make me a forgiving person. Really wasn't a sinner's prayer per se, but uh, I will, I stood up for that prayer changed. And I've uh, uh, been following Christ ever since. Mm, okay. Um, Church for Men, I know you go out there on that website, and you got a lot of information yeah. out there for that on that. How, how did you come about uh, starting that and uh, helping men reach, uh, men in churches reach other men? How did that all come about? Well, that came about as a result of the book. And so I really need to, probably the question you want to ask me is, how did I write the book in the first place? Because I'm not a pastor or a professor or right. a theologian. I'm okay. not a church guy. I'm just a guy in the pews okay. who, who noticed a disturbing trend. Uh, whenever Christians gathered, there was always more women than men. The women seemed to get church in a way the men didn't. Uh -huh. uh, the women's hands were open. The men's arms were crossed. You know. <laughs> so... Um, 
I felt like there needed to, there had to be a book about this and there really wasn't. And so God tapped me on the shoulder and said, why don't you write one? I said, well, God, I'm a television producer. I don't do books. And he says, you do now. And so uh, uh, just within days of releasing the book, I was being interviewed in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. Uh, oh, the yeah. president, of, president of Promise Keepers calls me up and invite, flies me out to uh, one of the rallies in uh, Colorado. It was just, it was a pretty heady time. Uh, and once the hoopla over the book settled down, I felt like there was a real need to instruct churches and pastors in how to be more welcoming to men and boys. And so that's why we have Church for Men. Amen. Uh, when did I, when did you first write that book? I know there's, there's an update. Oh, yeah, the first version came out in 05, and then the revised version came out in 2011. Well, that's interesting because about 06, 07, God was speaking to my heart and I was sitting in church one day and uh, I was going through some health issues and I was sitting in church one day and I started looking at men's faces and it was like they were just here, you know, uh, they were here just because whatever that just because might have been. So that's kind of interesting. We signed about the same time. I just didn't get the uh, I just didn't get the word to write a book like you did. And you did a fantastic job with that. So, well, I'm, I'm a better writer, so I'm glad I wrote it, <laughs> not you. <laughs> that is probably true. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Well, you know, this year, COVID has uh, really changed uh, the, the landscape of men's ministry and just everything yeah. going on. And men finding themselves at home alone these days. Uh, have you? What have you seen that uh, may have been really impacting men uh, in the last year or so? Yeah, you know, men were not, uh, men were already more isolated than ever. They were already lonelier than ever. They were already more tribal than in a long time, mm -hmm. thanks to social media. And the effects of the lockdowns has just been catastrophic for men. Uh, pornography use is through the roof. Um, the um, the amount of time men are losing themselves in video gaming and uh, you know just not necessarily immoral screen content but just screen content in general is causing them to become disconnected from real life. Mm -hmm. Of course, a lot of men have experienced church in their pajamas for the first time, uh, <laughs> and they with a cup of coffee and they didn't have to get the kids together. I <laughs> And you're just sitting there in your easy chair, and it's almost just like being in church anyway, because the pastor's on yeah. the screen anyway. Yeah. So it's like, whoa, why would I even bother to go to the building anymore? Why would I even bother to volunteer? You know, and I think it's when this is all over and we've reached herd immunity and enough people have been inoculated, it's going to be very interesting to see if men do return to the institution or they continue to just watch their favorite preachers on TV. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's, it's interesting going out there and look at statistics, and I know you look at statistics too. Oh boy, it's, do I ever! It's 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 really strange, and 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 there's a new phenomenon going on right now with um, uh, with uh, families uh, doing uh, church hopping via uh, online churches. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're a pastor, yeah, I'd be shaking in my boots because you know the 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 competition used to be the guy down across the street and around the corner. Mm -hmm. Now the competition is uh, Matt Chandler and Craig oh. Rochelle and Mark Driscoll. And you are going up against the, the world's best communicators. So this is one of the things that I'm really feeling called to address. I am going to be offering a, a coaching service real soon, if I can do a little commercial for that. Sure. I'm going to try to gather a group of pastors who really want to become master screen communicators. Mm-hmm. Preaching to a camera is different than preaching to a crowd. And even when we get back to the post-COVID era, the camera ministry is still going to be a vital part of what you do. And I see pastors just fumbling the ball, missing opportunities to connect with their online audiences because they don't know how to communicate to a camera. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I'm going to be launching here real soon is some personal coaching opportunities for pastors and church communicators who really, really want to become better online and on-camera communicators. Uh, you know, I've been in the camera, the screen business for 40 years. I've taught everybody from Sarah Palin to, uh, uh, you know, uh, different correspondence and stuff, how to become better on-screen communicators. So uh, I feel like I could probably put some of that use to work for the kingdom now and uh, possibly help some pastors do a better job connecting with people online and uh, through their online congregations, because you know that's that's the competition. That's that's the competition for eyeballs now that we have. Is people are going to go and they're going to hear the Bible teacher that really 
connects with them over on screen and you've got to learn how to do that. That's a skill they don't teach you in seminary. Yeah, you're right about that. And uh, and just to continue to talk about that a little bit, is that something that uh, they'll be able to locate on uh, Church for Men website? Yeah, actually, davidmuro.com is the new website I'm working on. It's actually out yeah. there in the wild right now. It's not completed, but you can take a look at it. And I will be offering a link to pastors who want to get in on that Master Communicators course. It'll be an ongoing consultation where pastors can join the group. We'll have a weekly Zoom meeting where I will be talking to them about different techniques that they can use. I'll also be teaching them how to be more man-friendly in their ministry. And then uh, once a month, I will they can upload one of their sermons, and I'm going to tear it to bits. Um, I'm going to show them where they missed opportunities to connect emotionally through the camera. Uh, I'm a big one on using object lessons and video clips and anything you can do to make your sermon uh, more screen relevant so that uh, when people are done watching it, it's not just onto the next program, but they're pierced to the heart and want to take action. And so I'll be helping them with that, that sort of uh, follow up video, follow up. One of the things pastors don't know how to do is, um, uh, the good ones know how to do this. In every sermon, you have to include a shareable one minute, a shareable minute. Mm -hmm. That would be the moment where you pick up a pen and you use it as an object lesson mm -hmm. or whatever it is. It has to have a visual content so that when you share that to Instagram, you share that to Facebook, you share that to Snapchat or whatever your platforms are. People see that, they see your mouth flapping and they go, why is he holding up a pen? And then they'll turn the sound on, and that's when you're able to say, "Well, this pen is just like the blood of Jesus," it, you know, or whatever. You know, I'm I'm just using it as an example. Right, right. right. And that, and then there's a link at the bottom that gets you to go to the sermon. That's how we fish for men online. You have to have that shareable minute. Jesus was really great at shareable minutes. You know, his parables were shareable minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, show me a coin, whose face and whose inscription. You know. Just, he was just, he was a master at this. And I want to help pastors recapture that, uh, that ability to use everyday objects, everyday examples to make their sermons go viral online. Well, that's, that's, that, that is super. That's great. I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. I know you have a lot of experience in that area, mm -hmm. obviously, and, and, uh, and to be able to give back to the kingdom by doing that. I, I want to tell you, I appreciate that because I do know there's a lot about people like myself needs to, needs that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's not, it's, that. it's um, not a skill that comes naturally. It's something that has to be taught. And uh, it's yeah. something that I've learned in the past 40 years. And I really want to share that with a, a cohort of pastors who will commit to me for, you know, several months, and I will mm -hmm. commit to you. So mm -hmm. we're good. Good. Well, let's get back to drowning in the screen a little bit. Let's talk about yeah. that a little bit. Uh, um, what inspired you? You, said, you talked a little bit about that when, at the beginning of the program, but what inspired you to really get into this book? And and obviously it was the Lord, once again, probably yeah. speaking to you, but what made you get to the point where you were putting pen on paper, words down on paper to really uh, talk about this? Well, Mike, you deal with men all the time, right? Correct. How many times, when they tell their story, how many times does their, the story of their downfall involve some sort of a screen activity? That is true. Uh, it's, I reconnected with an old girlfriend through Facebook, mm -hmm. or I got into online pornography, or I spent, I lost my wife because I was spending eight hours a day playing, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat or, or, you know, whatever the game is, Halo or whatever game they play. Uh, I was astonished at how many men's uh, downfall came via a screen. Uh, the screen itself may not have been the um, problem, but it was the conduit through which they were tripped up. So although this book isn't specifically written to men, it's designed to address an issue that is prominent with men. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's 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 the millstone that we trip over that gets around our neck. And so that was the original inspiration. But then as I you know started doing the research and, you know, decided to blow the whistle on some of the things that those of us I'm, I work in the screen addiction business. I know the tricks. I know the things that people like me do to keep people like you watching screen content. Mm -hmm. And I really just wanted to pull back the, the curtain and say, you know, this is what's going on. This is how you're being manipulated. This is how your emotions are being inflamed. 
This is how uh, conspiracy theories are made to seem real. Uh, they're rampant in the church right now. You know, believers are—we're believing crazy stuff that is not true. Yep. And and it's it's coming from Russians. It's coming from you know. Now I sound like a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but, it, but it's actually true. There are Russian troll farms that are putting conspiracy theories out that are designed to deceive Americans. They're designed to deceive believers. Uh-huh. So it's just uh, it, it's just a, it's a it's a perilous place we find ourselves in right now. And I wanted to be a, a voice of reason amid all the confusion. Well, I tell you what, it opened my eyes to a lot of things, and even even with our culture, uh, helped uh, to explain um, a little bit about what's going on in our culture today. That uh, we may be trying uh, trying to figure out ourselves, and uh, uh, this council culture really. It, it, would you let me read a little statement from your book? That, yeah, uh, of course. And then talk about it a little bit. Because, yeah. uh, because it's Catholic culture. You, you kind of, you alluded to it, but you didn't really call it that. But that's, I know what you were talking about. In this paragraph, you said, why is the current generation of college students so quick to censor free speech? Because they've been deleting posts they disagree with on social media since they were 13 years old. Social media taught them to shout down and shut out people in opinions they find unacceptable. And, it, and when I read that, it was like, bing, you know, <laughs> now yeah. I know what's going on. You know, uh, how about speaking of that a little bit? Yeah. You know, when you think about the campus radicals of the 60s, they were all about free speech. You know, mm-hmm. the campus radicals today are about shutting down speech because they have been taught. They, they're, they're what I call digital kings and queens. Mm-hmm. They have taught, been taught by the digital world to be the sole lord and master over what they see, over what ideas will be tolerated. And you'll remember in the beginning of the book, I tell five parables. The yep. fifth parable is called the digital, yeah, the, the uh, parable of the kingdom. And I talk about how screens make us kings and queens, digital monarchs. And we create, we actually create a world over which we reign as lord and master. And we decide what what programs we're going to watch. We decide what ideas will be tolerated, what people we're going to let in and let out. It's completely unlike real life where things happen to us. We don't have any, almost no control over what happens to us in real life. But in the screen world, we exert total control. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of young people. They are trying to exert total control over the real world as they have over, over the screen world. And they're trampling on free speech. They're trampling on freedom of religion. They're trampling on the basic freedoms that we've come to enjoy in this country because they expect the, the real world to respond the way screen world does. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, don't, I imagine you have seen it, but I was watching a, a program that came off in Netflix not too long ago called The Social Dilemma. And, yes. Uh, Excellent and, program. Yeah, it is. It's great. I've shared with a number of people they, to, to encourage them to watch that uh, mm-hmm. because it helps to, to understand how when you go on your screen and you you click on something uh, that you like, uh, there's an algorithm out there that figures it out and starts feeding you with this kind of information. And I can see where it starts wiring your brain, just like what you were talking about in your book, rewiring your brain. So you start thinking everybody thinks like this and they don't think like this then they're wrong. (laughs) Right. And here's, uh, and if we can go back to the the parable of the digital kingdom, algorithms are like the yes man. Like if you're a king, your algorithm is the yes man. Oh, yes, 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 my Lord. Yes, my master. It continues to affirm your beliefs and keep anything away from you that you may not already believe. And so this is where the conspiracy theories work in. People who get onto Facebook and stuff, they a lot of them are very credulous. They believe these conspiracy theories. They share them, and they're very vocal about that. Well, you may think, God, that's crazy, but you click on it anyway, right? Well, then what happens? More conspiracy theories end up in your feed because you clicked on that one because your algorithms are the yes man. They're going to continue to give you more of what you interacted with because that's what they think you want. And, you know, I don't see any nefarious intent. You know, Mark Zuckerberg is not trying to deceive you, but his algorithm is designed to give you more of what you already did. And so to keep you there, that's all he's trying to do. He's trying to sell ads. Mm -hmm. And so that's the danger of social media is these algorithms are just going to show you a world that agrees with what you already believe. And if some false beliefs gets in there, you're just going to get spoon fed more and more falsehood. More and more lies are going to come into your feed until you've said, oh, this must be the truth, you know? 
this certain politician must really be controlled by satanic cabal, you know, or or whatever, you know. So it, it's very easy to believe those things because that you keep seeing them in your feed. Well, it's it's really scary if you think about it, and uh, and and our our teenagers and our children are being susceptible to these, and a lot of our parents don't really uh, realize that or understand that, and uh, mm -hmm. so. How do you how do you address that with parents as far as uh, helping them to not let their children get too much screen time? Yeah, well, the first thing that you need to do is when your children are little is you need to have a screen use plan in place, even while they're in the womb, I would say. Uh, and I'm, I'm building one of those at davidmurrow.com. It should be available in the next few days. A screen use plan would involve, uh, you really wanna make sure that your kids are never lord and master they're never the owners of a screen until they're like 15 or 16. Mm -hmm. And even then you're still the owner of the screen. So the, one of the most dangerous things that parents do is they give their kids a screen when they're two or three and uh, you know, with games on it and they'll say, well, it's all locked down. There's no internet connection. There's no porn. They can't get into that. So that's not the issue. The issue is you're training them to turn to a screen the moment they're bored. Mm. You're training them to not be involved in the real world and then be involved in the screen world. So then when they turn seven or eight, they're going to want a smart device. They're going to want an internet connected device. They're going to immediately go to the video game or whatever, because they haven't learned to play with spoons or build a tree fort or go out on their bicycle on a beautiful day. Uh, all they do is they go to their screens. So the first thing parents have to do is they've got to make sure that they keep screens away from their kids as much as possible when they're little. And if they are going to use screens, it should be under parental supervision until they're at least eight years old. Uh, once a kids uh, get to an age where they can have their own personal devices, one of the things I always tell parents is screens are all surrendered at dinner time. Uh, no screens at the table. Mom and dad collect all the phones, all the iPads, everything, and put them on a charger and they're put away for the night. And the evenings are screen free. You can read books. You can do your homework. You can go out and play in the yard if it's good weather. Uh, we can do things together as a family. We can build blanket forts. We can do family reading, but there is no screen content after dinner. The one exception would be if we're gonna get together and watch a family movie together. I would endorse that as a good activity. If it's a good wholesome family activity, you can watch a movie together. But what you want to avoid is this, this, this uh, thing that happens where it's called being alone together, where everybody has their own device, they're in the room, but they're all into their own device and they're not into each other. Because what will happen is your ability to have uh, non-confrontational uh, interactions will atrophy over time. Uh, you will you'll forget how to be together. And then what happens is, is all your conversations are confrontational. It's all the things you have to say. Why haven't you washed your soccer uniform? Why haven't you applied for college? Why haven't you done your homework? Your room is a pigsty, clean it up. That's the only thing that gets through. Uh, otherwise, all the co positive things don't get through because we're all looking at our screens. You see what happens? Yeah. You, you, know, uh, you know, one of the things I, I know is reading, reading articles and, and diving further into a lot of this is that a lot of the anger that the uh, teenagers are, are expressing today, even our college students are expressing today, is coming because of their own too much of their screen time. It's almost like a, with, a withdrawal when they don't have it. You know, you take it away from them and they get angry, just like a just like an addict goes through withdrawal. Right. Because, yeah, screens provide you with a it, first of all, uh, the second parable that I or the fourth parable I talk about is a parable of uh, David, the shepherd boy. I used the example of King David before he became king and his encounter with a wolf. And I talk about how unusual that was. Most of the time there were no wolves. It was just David and the sheep sitting out there being bored all the day, all day. That's how life is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, something unusual happens, and that's that's the wolf. Well, the thing about screens is we can create novelty. We can create unusual things to see all the time. We flip that reality on our head on its head. Uh, it's no life is no longer ninety eight percent monotony and two percent novelty. It's now ninety eight percent novelty and two percent monotony. Young people don't know how to just sit quietly in a room and look around and or look up at clouds or, you know, all the things that you and I learned when we were kids because we didn't have screens. They've grown up in a world that's constantly novel. There's constantly something new to see in front of their eyes. And, uh, you know, they, they just, this is, this is the world they're used to. Uh, 
So uh, it's a it's a skill that they're that they really that your kids need to really acquire. They need to be comfortable in a living in a world that's monotonous, that's not constant novelty, or they will fall deep into screen addiction when they're adults. Well, you know, I, I can't help but think of the dad that I was talking to. This this is some time back, but still, you he was talking about taking his daughter and a couple of her friends out to uh, lunch one day, and they were sitting in the restaurant and they were in their phones. And when he really did some investigation, he found they were texting, but they were texting each other instead yeah. of just talking to each other. Right. And, uh, and, and uh, so our kids are really got it. How's, how, how about adults? I mean, we're talking about our kids a little bit and our teenagers. How about adults? I mean, I have to admit, you know, until I started reading some of your book and some other books and watching shows for Dilemma and things of that nature, uh, I have to admit that uh, my phone's sitting there next to my, on the table next to my chair and, commercial comes on TV or I just get bored with something and I'll reach over there and pick it up, start looking. What, how's it, what's it going on yeah. with the adults? Well, you're Mike, you're looking for a wolf. You're looking for something new to stimulate your brain and give you a shot of dopamine, right? Because yep. wolves are exciting and sheep are boring. Mm -hmm. So uh, what you have to do as an adult is you've got to learn to love the real world. Uh, the, the first way you do that, they, I can get you the 50 yard line real quick. Uh, the first thing you want to do is you want to work on eliminating mindless screen time. And those are the moments where you pick your phone up when you're bored, like if you're just commercials uh, or uh, you're waiting for an airplane uh, sitting in the airport. You have got to resist the urge to pick that phone up. When you come in from, uh, you know, a lot of young men, the moment they come home from work, they flip on the TV and play video games. Or, uh, you know, I know a lot of older folks, uh, if they're home, the TV is on constantly. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many ads for hearing aids can you listen to? It's just like, I don't, <laughs> I, I can't stand it having the TV on. But some people, you know, the moment they come on, they're not, they're not comfortable in silence. And so they click on that TV and it's on from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep. And mm -hmm. so uh, just focus on eliminating mindless screen time. If you have a specific reason to go onto a screen, go ahead and do so. But if you can eliminate that mindless screen time, you'll get half of your uh, attention back and you'll begin uh, uh, reorienting yourself to the real world. Now, if your situation is severe, you may need to go on what's called a digital detox. Mm -hmm. And that's where you actually put all of your technology away and you very intentionally plunge back into the real world. And that's typically done over a weekend. When we can get back to gathering, I'm planning to be launching some digital detoxes uh, from my winter location here in Arizona. You can come down and detox with me. We'll go out into the desert on a horse with no name. We'll have a good time out there and uh, we'll learn to reconnect with uh, nature, with God, uh, practice spiritual disciplines, and uh, we'll do it in a screen-free environment. So I'm looking forward to relaunching those as soon as we get back out of this COVID situation. So yeah, you've just you've got to be very intentional about refocusing yourself on the real world because that's where real life is. That's where every goal that you want to achieve, everything that you're going to that's going to make you a great man or a great woman, it's all in the real world. There's enough, almost nothing in the screen world that will help you become the person that you you need to be or that God wants you to be. Yeah, you just used a phrase that uh, uh, I know it's been around a while, but it's been uh, it's starting to take root, I believe, and that is digital detox. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've reading some, been reading some stuff uh, about, um, I think it's China and Japan has some yeah. major, uh, something like 300, between the two homes, or one of the countries have like 300 detox centers just in their country alone to help people yeah. get out of get out of that and and it's like it's like working with them getting 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 a drug out of their system so to speak it's, yeah thank you for bringing that up china is actually the leader in this uh 24 what was it i don't have the stat in front of me something like 24 percent of the boys in china are digital addicts either they're addicted to pornography or video gaming or both and china takes this very seriously because they need workers they don't need guys to sit around all day and you know, smoke pot and uh, play video games. And so they will actually, parents will actually commit their boys to this six or eight month, and it's like a prison camp. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's austere like China does. And uh, they're able to, they have a very uh, good success rate in helping boys detox and get this, get this video gaming and video uh, 
addiction out of their system. We haven't gotten nearly that here in the United States. I don't think uh, the addiction levels are as high here. Our culture is a little different, but it's certainly come to that. And I think it's going to be it's going to be a long process to get the next generation of boys disconnected from their phones, uh, girls as well. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know the situation in China. I haven't been there really, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I just to me, it looks like that we uh, we have a lot of people who are, are seriously addicted to their screens today and yeah. uh, and wanting to go. I mean, I, I watch young kids today and I say young kids. I'm talking about seven and eight year olds yeah. who really get mad at their parents when their parents cut them off, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's because, and there really is a drug involved. It's called dopamine. Uh, when you're looking at something, when you see visual novelty, when you see something new, which is what our screens constantly provide, we get a shot of dopamine. And so when you take that dopamine away, it's the same as if you've taken away crack from a crackhead. So, oh, that, 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 that's just wild to me. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, uh, I'd like to um, uh, talk about with uh, with the uh, adults is the mm-hmm. fact that on your phones, I believe in your in your book, you talked about that you can find out how long you've been staying staying on your phones and on your screens and stuff like that. And once I read that, I didn't realize I could do that, and I figured out how to do it on my phone, and and I was amazed just for myself. And I don't think I say on my phone a lot how much time I really did spend on my phone. What and, kind of phone do you have? Do you have Android or Apple? I have an Android. Android, okay, yeah. There's some great tools for Android that will. Uh, what what tool do you use? Is it built in or is it a separate it, it, app? It is. It's built in. It's uh, okay. It's the um, let's see if I can find. It. It's called the Digital Wellbeing and Parental Controls. Yeah. Uh, section. Yeah, that's a freebie, and there's also uh, some paid for apps. There's one called Forest that's really good. It you build. Uh, what you do is you grow a forest. You tell the phone, okay, I, I don't want to check my phone for two hours. And then during that two hours, a tree grows on your screen. And if you touch your phone, you pick up your phone, you swipe your phone to get onto it, the tree dies. And so what it does is it uses our natural psychology against us to keep <laughs> to keep us from using the phone because we don't want to kill that tree, right? <laughs> and over and here's the neat thing that they're doing with forest. Uh, over time, you can earn enough trees that for the company, the app company will actually donate money to plant trees in South America and Sub-Saharan Africa and help poor poor families that need trees. So it's just a, it's a wonderful win-win. Uh, you know, I think it's like a $2 app. So if you're looking for a fun way to keep yourself from picking up your phone, I highly recommend Forest. Oh yeah, I remember reading about that in your book and that's a- Yeah, it's a great idea, yeah. <laughs> it is, it's, it's pursuit. Well, let's get back to, um, to men in church for a little bit. Uh, yeah. Since you wrote, uh, my men hate going to church uh, and, you, and in your travels and so forth. Are you seeing less doilies and flowers and pastel colors in the churches now? You know, I am. Uh, probably the biggest impact my book has had is on megachurches. Almost every megachurch pastor has read my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a big church here in Phoenix that is uh, it's actually the fourth largest church in America. Every one of their staffers has to read my book. They've built their culture around men and you go in there and it's a bunch of jocks. You know, it's just it's like very different than most churches because they are so intentional. They have sports leagues that they do. When you walk into their lobbies, uh, they play uh, There's ESPN. There's always sports on TV. All right. All right. You know, they just do little things that hint that give men a hint that this is something that is going to interest you. This is not just something for your grandmother which is really the grandma vibe is really, really common in smaller churches, traditional churches, mainline churches with the, like you said, the lace doilies, the the quilts on the walls, the uh, ribbons, flowers, uh, pink pastels, you know, just just has a very grandma feel to it. And uh, the mega churches have figured it out. If you get the men in the door, your church will grow. And this is one of the reasons they've become so large is because if you go for the guy, you get the family and the deal, and yeah. they've been very successful at that. And it appears that uh, most of the women understand that too, especially the wives. They understand that uh, uh, as far as uh, getting this, th- it's this kind of stuff that'll get my my husband into church, and uh, yeah, versus versus the other stuff. So yeah, that's the remarkable thing, you know. 
Uh, I don't get a lot of pushback from women. Actually, the biggest pushback I get is from pastors who are kind of invested in the more feminized church model. Yeah. They don't like my book, <laughs> <laughs> but the wives are crazy about it. So. Well, I liked your book. I'll tell you what, even after reading Screen Time, I, uh, I, I went back and, and uh, reread your updated book just, just because it prompted me to do so. And, yeah. uh, and so it, it was, uh, it was interesting. I, I know that I was uh, at a church in South Carolina uh, a couple of years ago, and I uh, won't mention the church's name, but but it was kind of interesting. I was there doing some uh, uh, men's ministry training, and we began talking about this stuff that you talked about in your book about the decor in the church. And the guy said, come here, I want to show you something. So he took me across the street into their family life center, and it's a huge, huge building. It was as big as, big as the sanct most, most uh, church of sanctuaries. And pointed to the ceiling, and there sat a a P thirty one World War two training aircraft hanging in the ceiling. And wow. I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that'd get me here <laughs> to see that." That's the kind yeah. of stuff we were talking about. So it was pretty neat in that yeah. way. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I know a lot of churches have gone with, uh, or uh, there are sportsmen's churches that have yeah. uh, risen up. And they will decorate with animal mounts, for example, you know, uh, deer head, moose, elk, uh, trophies that different hunters in the congregation have taken. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you walk in there and you're a guy, you don't even have to be a hunter, uh, but you know instantly that this is a place that's going to welcome men, it's going to welcome guy stuff. It's not just all about, you know, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah, I, uh, I know of another church that they went into the men's uh, restrooms and just redecorated yeah. the whole thing. One of one of the uh, stuff like they put uh, uh, carpentry tools all over the walls. You know, even made a door handle out of a claw hammer. Claw hammer. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. So, so just just great things. And I think a lot of that came from your book. There's no doubt in my mind that a lot of those ideas came from. Well, let me ask you this: yeah. We talk about why men hate going to church. Why do you think men go to church other than if they don't have a relationship with God? What do you think? What do you think is forcing them to go or making them go? Or why do they or what just why do they go if they don't have a relationship? Well, I mean, some of it's tradition. They grew up in the church. Uh, some men know that it's a good place to uh, network for your business. Uh, other men are dragged there by their wives and girlfriends. Uh, but I think probably the, the biggest draw is just maybe they grew up in church and mm -hmm. it's just kind of what they do. And, you know, they identify with church going and, but I'm telling you that they're, they're casual about their faith. I would, I would say their numbers are, they were pretty weak before the pandemic. And I would say they're probably going to be gone afterwards because mm -hmm. the, the tie was not, they really didn't get the mission of, of Christ, uh, before the pandemic. And now that, that uh, we've been out of church for so long, in and out of church, I would say, it's probably not the uh, what they'll be doing again. Yeah, I know uh, one of the things that I was concerned, and, I, and I've shared this much often, is the fact that uh, um, many of our men really don't have that relation. They're in church, they do a lot of good things, uh, but yet they they don't have that relationship with Christ, and so when things like this happens and they can't to go, they end up finding something else to, to do, so to speak, and not come back. Uh, I know Matthew seven, chapter seven, verse 21 through 23 is one that I uh, think a lot about. And that's the one where it talks about, but not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will come to the kingdom of coming to the kingdom of heaven. Then they give all these things that we were doing in your yeah. name, but he'll tell him, he said, I, I didn't know you. I don't know you. And that's what scares me about a lot of the thing, a lot of the men in our churches. And I often say, you know, we have, we do have a lot of work to do outside the walls of the church, but we got just as much work to do within the walls of the church. Yeah, that's for sure. Men do need to be discipled, and you know that's challenging in an age of COVID. Um, men were not gathering like the women before COVID, and I can't imagine what it's going to look like afterwards. Yeah, men don't gather as easily as women do. That's a fact. I mean, uh, no, uh, been, less foods involved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like I was talking to some, uh, uh, probably a, a friend of ours down in Louisiana. He was talking about. He says, "I know when I put out bacon, men are going to come." He says, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, put that bacon out there, and they'll, they'll show up." Well, um, you know, there's other things that bring them in, you know, a well-known speaker, uh, some sort of a giveaway. You can you can still draw a crowd of men. And I, I would imagine after COVID, 
you know, autographed jerseys from local sports heroes, if you can get them to donate those. I mean, I've been a part of some really pretty successful men's events and the common denominator is they really try to uh, lure the men in with different prizes or different, just things that not only communicate the prize, but also communicate the fact that, hey, we understand you. $100 Home Depot gift certificate or, uh, you know, uh, AutoZone, you know, things things that guys do, uh, set of golf clubs, you know, whatever it is. Uh, so, yeah, there is still going to be ways to get guys in, but we're going to have to work harder than ever. Yeah. Do you do you think when, once this pandemic starts uh, dying down and when people start getting back out and to somewhat of a normal life, and I don't really think things will go back to per se normal, Anytime we yeah. go through some kind of a disaster, it really don't go back to like it was. But uh, do you think guys are going to be wanting to 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 get together and and uh, uh, start going back to conferences and uh, doing little group things and stuff like that? I think, I think your relational men are already really hungry for that. But mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of men who find it difficult to be relational, to get over that line, that shyness they have, or maybe they've had a had a bad experience with men's ministry. Uh, I, I, one of the examples I talk about in why men hate going to church is a fellow who uh, decided to follow the example of Jesus and wash. He, he, he drew a, a group of like seven or eight guys together and he washed their feet at their first meeting. So he had seven or eight guys at the first meeting. He had zero guys at the second meeting. So he's like, what did I do wrong? Well, what you did wrong is you reached a level of intimacy with these men on the first date that Jesus didn't achieve until three years in, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're doing what Jesus did, but you've, you've done, you've pushed the men too hard too soon. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's going to be something that we're going to have to be dealing with as well. The relational men are going to want to come back together, but you're going to have to do other things to get the non-relational men in the door. Yep. Uh, you're probably right. And I agree with you 100. It's going, it's going to take a lot of intentionality uh, of the of the men that are there and solid, you're reaching out. Uh, uh, I know one of the things on Wednesday. I go to a Wednesday night Bible study, mm -hmm. and um, I know we were talking a couple of weeks ago. I told them a couple of weeks ago uh, when they were asking about they're not meeting in a church right now. They're meeting in an old roller skating rinks where they're meeting at, and uh, and they said, well, you know, we can go back to the church now and meet. And none of the guys want to go back to the church. They want to stay in that old roller skating rink. And yeah. And I mentioned to them that, uh, you know, one of the things that's good about this is, is that we can reach out to the younger generation and we can get them here much quicker than we can get them in the church itself. And last week, some of the guys went out and actually intentionally uh, invited some of the younger younger men uh, that they knew to come join us. And, and so that's that's a fact is in, in, in ministry is being in places that are very comfortable and uh, and where the uh, men can feel comfortable too. Yeah. Um. What do you what do you got on the on the works? I know you talked a little bit about planning uh, to put them together this uh, uh, program. Yeah, the uh, master communicators, pastors, pastors and uh, yeah, and some other things. You got anything else in the works going on? Oh, I got all kind of things. I, I got... <laughs> Mike, if there was three of me, we'd all be busy. It's uh, <laughs> there's always so much going on. You know, you, I got three kids, seven grandkids. They keep me busy as well. But uh, yeah, I really, uh, I really would. Well, I want to develop a voice in the church surrounding issues with screen time. And one of the things that I'm offering in 2021 is I'm offering to speak free to any church of 200 people or more. Uh, uh, I'm waiving all speaking fees in 2021, not charging anything. So if you want to, if, if you have a church or an organization that wants to bring me in, that wants to do talk about screen time, mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy to do that. Christian school. I've got, I'm, I'm just about finished with a really cool presentation based on the parables that are at the beginning of the book. I hired an artist to actually draw the parables. So you've, you've read the parables, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got, I had drawings of Max and the sea. I've got drawings of King David fighting the wolf. And so uh, I'm going to create a really cool, visually interesting uh, presentation that I'm going to make available for free in 2021 to any group that wants to have me. Uh, I'll come to smaller groups via Zoom. Uh, I'll travel to bigger groups, Christian schools, universities, churches, 
that want to have me give my presentation with my, you know, these pictures and these parables. One of the things I'd like to do with the parables is get people talking together. You know, I mean, you can listen to me talk or I can play the parable and then get you to talk. So that's another thing I'd like to do. So, yeah, I've just got a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of ideas, probably got more ideas than, than I got brain power. But uh, really looking forward to talking to some churches, Christian schools, universities and stuff about this and really raising the awareness of what our screens are doing to us, how they're polarizing us, how they're panicking us, how they're playing on our emotions and uh, get people back into real life and real relationships. You know, one of the things that I just realized the other day is that our screens are like binoculars. Mm -hmm. We put them up to our eyes and we can see all these distant things, right? But we're blind to the things that are around us, completely unaware of the people around us that are hurting, people that need to know Christ. We, uh, you know, I heard, a, I read a, a heartbreaking story on Russell Moore's uh, blog uh, about uh, a family that is completely broken over the election because the parents voted for one presidential candidate and the kids voted for another one. And the kids will now not let the grandparents see their grandkids. So these kids have got these, these, these binoculars on and they're seeing national affairs as the most important thing. And they're ignoring their family who's right next to them. They're ignoring the impact that shutting out grandma and grandpa is going to have on their children growing up. Because all they can see is what the media tells them. Oh, there's these horrible things happening in Washington, right? So what, what I want to do is teach people to take the binoculars down and not only see what's going on in national and world affairs, but also look around and see the people that Jesus has called us to love and to love those people courageously and uh, speak truth into their lives with love. And that's something that's sorely lacking in our world today. Amen. I, I agree with that. And you're talking about families, but it's it, it, that same thing has happened within our churches. It is splitting our churches. and Right. Uh, uh, tremendously because of the same reason, the same exact reason that we, we've been talking about. Right. During this yeah. time. Uh, it, it's just, it's just, just unbelievable. I never thought, uh, I think, um, I think it was Dr. David Jeremiah wrote a book a number of years ago. I never thought I would see, and this is something that I would, I never thought I would see. I never would see, thought I'd see a culture like we have right now. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with supporting a particular candidate or having strong no, feelings about no, different no, political views. No. But if you're going to cut people out of your life, yeah. if you're going to divide your church over how they voted in an election, yeah. it's, Satan wins. Satan is winning. He's laughing. He's, he's you know, rubbing his hands together. Yeah. So it's, it's just something we've got to get on top of. And we've got to realize that, that Jesus called us to love people who differ, who have different opinions. We've got to love them. Uh, regardless of what they believe or who they voted for. Yeah, that's that's the reason some people get on me about not not voicing my opinion politically. And I said, don't do it because I know it will isolate me from people I need to be reaching for Christ. You know, and uh, and I, so I don't I don't talk anything politically in public about one one candidate or another because it will hinder your mission that God sent us out to do, and that's to make disciples and uh, and to the advance the kingdom of God. Well, David, we're coming up on on uh, 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 our time, and I appreciate you joining us. I, I, I just want to give you a, one last moment to share anything that's on top of your head uh, that you might want to uh, leave us with uh, before I close out the program. Well, I wish I had more on top of my head. It's kind of on the way. Just uh if there's any men, uh, especially, I'm sure you have a lot of men's ministry types who are listening or watching this uh, yeah. podcast or vodcast, whatever you call it, I would just say uh, persevere, hang in there. Uh, be sure to communicate with other uh, godly men on a regular basis. If you're not a member of the National Coalition of Ministries to Men, NCMM, you definitely need to join with NCMM. You can go to ncmm.org. I spent five years on the board with NCMM, and I can tell you it's a great source of encouragement. Uh, so, uh, you know, don't do this alone. Jesus, you know, Jesus was the greatest men's minister of all time, and even he did not minister to men alone. He found 12 knuckleheads to follow him around <laughs> for three years, and together they changed the world. And I would say that that's the same prescription for success, is don't try to minister to men alone. Uh, get your tribe around you get people praying for you, get people that you could bounce ideas off with. And, uh, you know, you will, 
you'll uh, reap the harvest that uh, that you're expecting and that God uh, can help you reap. Yeah, thank you for that. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you're going to be on the NCM call next week, I believe it is. And, yeah, uh, we're gonna do we're gonna do a drowning in screen time February third. I'm gonna try to show the first of my parable videos uh, oh, okay. or go through that. That'll be the world premiere of. I'm gonna try to do David and the Wolf and then David in the uh, the, the Kingdom, and because uh, I really want to illustrate how men are creating these personal digital kingdoms, and that's what's that's what's really destroying them. Yeah, and if you're not a member of the NCMM, reach out to somebody that you may know as a member of NCMM, or just reach out to NCMM general, and uh, maybe you can join yeah. NCMM and uh, be able to watch David uh, next yeah. week on that. So it was great to have you with us today, David. You have provided a a, a lot of information uh, for us to think about, and, and we need to process and digest into our lives. And as we mentor, we could we could we could talk about this for quite some time. There's no doubt about it. And I just thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Mike. Yeah, you're quite welcome. If you would uh, like to know more about David's ministry or talk to him about coming to a church to speak, as he just alluded to, he'd be glad to do that. Go out there to churchformen.com and uh, you'll be able to connect with him and see that. In case you missed something or would like to review something that was said in this conversation tonight, this, uh, this uh, podcast will be available on the Cape Fear Men website within the next day or two, and that will be capefearmen.net. So uh, just go there and you'll be able to review this, this uh, program plus anything else that's out there that's been listed. If you enjoyed today's program, uh, I would like for you to ask you to give consideration and help us to keep it going uh, by going to uh, capefearmen.net and, and donating through the donate button or texting CAPE, C-A-P-E, to 50155. CAPE for Men is a 501c3 organization. All donations are tax deductible. I thank you in advance for your donation. If you have any, any questions, drop us an email at capeforyourmen at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to do that and uh, forward them to David if necessary. And David, I again want to thank you for joining us. I appreciate it uh, very greatly. It's been a great time talking to you. Maybe we'll have to do this again sometime. Oh, always a pleasure, Mike. Thank you. Okay. Again, Intentional Conversations, a program where men's ministry leaders interview leaders in men's ministry. Now, as a blood mentor used to say to me, uh, as we would finish our time together, I pray God will give you a rock to stand on, a brook to drink from, and a tree to shade you by. Till next time on Intentional Conversations, God bless. <laughs>